This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. Our 2016-2017 season just began, and our opener at Haymarket Pub and Brewery was a great success. Today we present you a performance from that show, and hope it gets you just as excited for this year's programming as we are. Today's story throws us into the trenches of a war many of us know all too well, the great postmodern struggle for mental health. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery on September 18th, 2016, Second Story presents Teresa Corovilla. of light that has thrown everything else out of focus, each fluorescent flicker slamming into my brain, making it rattle and vibrate till I'm dizzy. Again, and again, and again. There is a light. An almost blinding pulse of light that has, excuse me, I just need to get to the chicken broth. <laughs> I blink. The pulsing stops for a second. Miss, I just need to get to the chicken broth. I turn and vaguely register an elderly man with glasses peering at me with polite impatience. I blink furiously and the world jolts back into place like a rickety amusement park ride and I realize that I am in a grocery store. More specifically, Mariano's on Western. More specifically, smack dab in front of the chicken broth at Mariano's on Western. I sidle out of the way and try to focus. What am I doing here? I'm trying to get three ingredients I need for a chocolate cake for my best friend's birthday. Three things. But probably not chicken broth. Why am I standing in front of the chicken broth? Oh look, there's chicken stock. And broth. Chicken. Chicken. In the midst of this exposition on poultry products, I am aware that something is wrong. My brain is stuck. Maybe it's melting into a pile of goo, or maybe I'm having some kind of stroke, or, or maybe it's because I've spent the last week trying to get off my Zoloft. By this time, I'd been on a, some form of an antidepressant since high school, but now, after years of hard work and therapy and four years of college that had given me the autonomy to come into my own, I had some military-grade emotional regulation skills. Not only had the severity of my depression drastically decreased, I also had the ability to cope with the symptoms when they did come creeping up. I had journaling techniques and mindfulness exercises and acronyms such as IMPROVE, which stands for imagery, meaning something else I don't remember, but the point is that I was so on top of this, I didn't even need the acronym anymore. Yes. At first, I had been a little nervous about going off of my meds, but mostly I was relieved at the prospect. No more medicine-induced weight gain. 
No more having to remember to take a pill every morning. No more having to travel with a pill bottle or hide a pill bottle or explain a pill bottle to anyone. No more trying to find DIY projects on Pinterest for all of those old pill bottles. <laughs> I would be free of that translucent orange container and its rattling contents forever. Because I was an Olympic level mental health master and I was ready to do this. Except maybe I wasn't. The first day off of the pill had been remarkably easy. I had done my research about what the withdrawal symptoms could be like. Online forums for previous Zoloft user dis users described nonstop vomiting, migraines, itchiness, dizziness, and other forms of physical torture one might associate with a circle of hell or a trip to Chuck E. Cheese's. But that first day had been okay. I had a mild headache, but nothing more. Day two was harder. The headache was worse, but I spent the day taking ibuprofen and imagining women heroically giving birth under trees in the middle of harvesting their cornfields or whatever, and realized that I too possessed this magical pain-tolerating badassery and would be totally fine. Then day three happened and I took all of that back. My head hurt with a ferocity that made me throw up and I was dizzy and disoriented all day. Basically, it was like being on a high-speed roller coaster while somebody repeatedly smacked you in the face with a dumbbell. In retrospect, it might not have been the best time for me to go off of my antidepressants. A decision to change career paths had resulted in an agonizingly long and drawn-out job search. My life had turned into an endless parade of cover letters and almosts and maybes and try again in a month. Finding a job is a full-time job, but the thing is, landlords and credit card companies remain supremely indifferent to that fact, so I was juggling a bunch of freelance contracts, constantly afraid I'd come up short for the month. I was living on a steady diet of dollar store rice, eggs, and soy sauce, and I'd been receiving increasingly intense letters from my credit card company that pretty much said, we are about to come to your house and drag you through the streets, ringing a bell and yelling, shame. <laughs> And then we will also take all of your possessions and burn them out of spite and possibly kill you and throw you in the river if you do not make a minimum payment of $300.87 by yesterday. <laughs> I would be lying if I said there were not tearful renditions of I dreamed a dream from Les Miserables performed in the shower. <laughs> I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. At the same time, I was acutely aware of my privilege. I had two college degrees and an incredible network of friends and family who would and had helped me out with money, career resources, and emotional support. But somehow knowing I had all of these things made my situation feel worse. I had never been this person. Prior to this ride on the employment search struggle bus, I had run the marketing department of a clothing brand while still in college. I had always been the organized one, the on top of it one, the AP honor roll, dean's list one. I planned other people's vacations for fun. I was the one who started making holiday gift lists in February. I was the one who baked the birthday cake. But right now, in this moment, I am anything but the person I know myself to be. Exhausted and unsure in the middle of a grocery store, I feel helpless and overwhelmed, and the shame of it is like a coil of wire wrapped tight around my insides, digging into me every time I take a breath. 
By the time I finally get what I need and make it to the checkout lane, I'm almost in tears. Not only does my brain feel like it's actively trying to exit my skull, I am also cripplingly aware of how deeply lame all of this is. This was a normal adult task that I'm pretty sure a capable border collie could have accomplished in less than half an hour, and yet me and both my college degrees had barely been able to do it in two. I shuffle out of the grocery store, reach into my bag for my wallet and transit card, and come up with nothing but a beat-up tube of lip balm. I frantically paw at the bottom of my bag, panic hitting me like a stroke of lightning. Oh my god, my wallet, I mean my, 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 my best card, I, I think I need to get off. I gasp to the bus driver who huffs and abruptly stops the bus and throws the doors open. I lurch across three lanes of traffic on Western. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I had all my cards and my ID in that wallet. I had a check to deposit in that wallet. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Then... Adrenaline crackles through me, sharp and cold, piercing the panic and haze of pain in my head, and I snap back into myself, suddenly clear and focused. By the time I'm halfway across the parking lot, I've got a plan and a backup plan. Who to call for a ride home, how to put a hold on my credit cards, where to apply for a new ID, who to notify. It was like the urgency of the moment had acted like some kind of psycho-spiritual backup generator, and all the carefully laid mechanisms of my competency had come whirring back into place like the wheels and gears of a frantically complex clock. I burst through the automatic doors and practically yell at the first cashier I see, my wallet, I, I think I left my wallet. Everyone within earshot stops and looks at me the way that people do in that nightmare where you show up at school naked. Wait. Is this your wallet? I spin around, clutching my bag of groceries, and see a manicured hand holding out my battered, bright green Target wallet. I lunge for it. Thank you. I look up and make eye contact with a woman who, if this were a movie, would have been pictured walking toward me in slow motion and gauzy light with a fan blowing her hair back majestically. She's tall and athletic looking, wearing just enough makeup to be really pretty without it looking like she spent a stupid amount of time on it. She is clad head to toe in Lululemon, and the thick row of diamonds on her wedding band somehow manages to look classy and understated. <laughs> And then she does the weirdest thing she could possibly do. She reaches her long arms towards me, lays both hands on my shoulders, pulls me forcefully towards her, and holds me tight in a deep, consoling hug. I'm not really a big hugger to begin with. So a full 15 seconds of being locked in an unsolicited embrace with this woman's well-toned triceps has got me decidedly uncomfortable. But I remind myself to have some grace, be thankful, take kindness where it is given. Even if where it is given is between the customer service counter and several rows of shopping carts. <laughs> it's gonna be okay, she whispers to me tenderly. I am suddenly aware that the zipper on my coat is broken and my scarf is a hand-me-down from my ex-boyfriend and that I didn't straighten my hair this morning and that both my oversized sweatshirt and my yoga pants have multiple drool and spit-up stains on them because I just came from teaching a baby music class and that my $6 sunglasses are lopsided because I sat on them earlier. She releases me slowly and stares at me in a way that actually makes me look down at myself to make sure I'm not bleeding or convulsing or covered in poop or something. 
I take a very deep breath and do my best to be normal. Yeah, thank you so much. I was just getting something from here and left my wallet. You are the best. It comes out a little hysterical high school cheerleader, but it's the best I can manage. I smile my thanks and turn to leave, but she links arms with me and starts walking beside me. Are you okay, girlfriend? The tone of her voice and the way she is looking at me makes me wonder if she thinks I'm part of some kind of charity program for dysfunctional women that she's sponsoring. Her grip tightens around my elbow, and for a brief and insane second, I wonder if she's gonna kidnap me and sell me into slavery or something because she can clearly see that I am vulnerable and possibly destitute, and therefore easy pickings. But no, she is just a very nice, rich, white lady. Oh my gosh, yes! I chirp, be normal, be normal, be articulate and normal, and this woman will let go of you, and you and your wallet can go home and spend the rest of the day crying on the couch. I just stopped taking my meds, so I'm a little out of it. As soon as it comes out of my mouth, I regret it. Um, I mean, she now has my arm in a death grip. Sweetie, can I give you a ride? She asks, but really, it's more of a statement. Like to a hospital or something? Visions of nice white ladies sticking me in her Range Rover and dropping me off at the Cook County psych ward kick my survival instincts into gear and I wrench my arm out of hers. No, thank you, I'm, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm just gonna go home, I have a ride here, I'm okay, thank you. And I turn and full out run through the parking lot before she can say anything else. By some miracle, the bus is waiting at the stop when I get there, and I climb on, this time able to pay. I collapse into a seat in the back and say to myself over and over again, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And then I finally start to cry. Teresa's story was curated by Margaret Marion and Paula Carter. She was directed by Tyler Green, and the sound design was by Mike Prisgoda. Second Story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development and many generous individuals like you. I'm Nick Kawahara and this is the Second Story Podcast.